Hello everyone, welcome to That Food Podcast, and I'm not recording this intro for the second time. My name is Stu, and I'm joined, <laughs> as always, by my good friend Matt. Matt, how are you doing today? I'm good. Definitely aren't doing this for the second time, are we, Stu? No. It's all very professional <laughs> and spot on every time, first time. Um, yeah, I'm good. I'm currently engaged in what could be the world's longest interview process, um, and I had the penultimate round uh, this morning, which is why we're recording a little bit later today, not that bears any relevance to our listeners when they listen but uh we are recording a little bit later than our usual schedule um but yeah i'm going it's going very well and i find out if i progress to the next stage uh tomorrow hopefully which will take place next week and that will be the final stage as well so hopefully we're getting there um speaking of uh interview processes and jobs and things like that you started your new job this week Stu. how's that going yeah, not too bad so far. A lot to take in um, so far. So it's quite a lot of induction bits this week. And as I'm part of a global team, a lot of my meetings are scheduled for late at night or first thing in the morning. So it's a bit all over the place, but it's nice. Um, everyone I've met so far is really nice. The company's got great ethics. Um, the company itself has actually just been rated as carbon neutral based on what it's been doing with its carbon footprint. So it's been really nice to see sort of the development of this company over the years. And also a really nice touch. Uh, last week, before I started my job, I got a lovely welcome box, again, used through all recycled and eco-friendly you know, gubbins. I got a nice you know, eco-friendly T-shirt, tote bag, a nice reusable coffee cup and everything with all the company branding on. So obviously, while it's good for branding, it's good for the environment. And it's been a, you know, it's been an interesting start so far. But Fingers crossed it continues to go on a, a good footing. But as, as Matt said, we're recording this a little bit later. So I don't know if my attitude's going to be any different because I haven't had lunch yet and I'm quite hungry. So talking about food for the next hour or so, it's probably going to be quite torturous. So if, <laughs> if I sound like I'm grumpy at all, um, it's because I'm mildly, mildly hungry. Do you, so, do you have a uh, tendency to get hangry? That's a, that's a uh, term. Is it hangry when you're... Uh... Get angry when you're hungry. Is that right? Do you have a, a tendency to get that way? I mean, not really. Um, I'm very much of the of the form of uh, I'm very different to my wife, where if she comes home from work and dinner's in half an hour, but she's hungry, she'll eat something before dinner. Whereas I'm sitting here going, well, it's probably going to be about an hour till lunch. Just have lunch in an hour. It'll be all right. <laughs> I, I, I must admit, I'm quite heavily dictated by food in terms of my mood so if i haven't eaten regularly that day i do get a little bit hangry myself um now a solution there is eat loads all the time and it's fine (laughs) (laughs) all in moderation of course all in moderation of course yes 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 so uh just to torture my stomach further uh what have you been up to in the kitchen this week well it's um a bit of a quiet one this week just because I have been sort of getting my head into a bit of interview prep and things like that and that's taken a lot of priority you know having said that though we did cook a nice um we made our own homemade veggie burgers this week uh, which went down really well so it's a combination of black kidney beans uh chickpeas sweet corn uh, breadcrumbs uh, and throw in some spices as well of your choice and then you mix it all together with uh, an egg just to help bind it. And then you smush it all up in, uh, in a bowl with a potato masher. Uh, you can also use a blender as well if you happen to have one and if that's easier for you. And then you form like the, the, the paste that you've made into little burger pâtés. And then you stick it in the oven for, you know, like 10 to 20 minutes. Um, just keep an eye on them really, see when you think they're cooked. You can't go too far wrong with these. Um, and then we have them in a nice crusty bread roll and a little side salad and it's perfect nice perfect little kind of uh lunch or perhaps dinner uh for you know sort of around this time of year where it's starting to get a little bit hotter so you know we're not gonna be so um keen to have maybe some of the sort of more comfort foods like the the uh, shepherd's pie that we had earlier in the year and things like that it's just ideal uh for the time of year um and i just made a little note here because i was thinking about um the difference between lunch and dinner right so i call it's a bit of a tangent now guys so you know sorry about that bear with me um i call lunch lunch right and dinner for me is an evening meal okay now dinner according to my wife is lunch 
and then tea is the evening meal. Do you have a preference on this in your household, Stu? Is it a north-south divide? Again, my, my wife is from uh, the northeast of England. Is that uh, anything that you have a preference on? Um, we're, we're a breakfast, lunch, tea family. So I've got the best of both worlds. I've, I, I've, I've got the mix from the Huntley household. So I've got lunch at lunch and tea at yeah. tea time. Yeah, okay, interesting. Yeah, we, I am a lunch kind of guy and Amy is a, a dinner person for an uh, afternoon meal. Um, anyway, random tangent there. How about you, Stu? What have you been up to in the, uh, in the kitchen? Not much. Again, with prep for new work uh, this week, I haven't really been able to flex my culinary muscles. <laughs> um, last night, though, we did make some low-fat lamb burgers from scratch, which, again, is uh, just lamb mince pushed together, mixed in with some spices, mixed in with some sort of diced spring onions, a couple of spices to mix in. Very, very tasty. And did it with celeriac fries. Uh, hang on. Let me just allow my brain to process that. Okay, celeriac. Yeah, that's... Uh, how was that? Really good. Again, so this was part of my wife's sort of 800-calorie diet plan book, which she doesn't stick okay. to, but the meals give quite, you know, nice low-calorie but filling evening meals for yep. teas or dinners, uh, again, for lunches, whatever you want to use uh, these recipes for. And, yeah, we, where we've had now cauliflower rice to replace rice in our dish for a lower-calorie alternative, um, celeriac fries are really nice. A bit, obviously, a bit flimsy for a chip or a fry, but still not too bad. Holds flavour if you um, sort of do them with either salt, pepper, or some spices. It's not, it's not too bad. So, so celeriac is a... Um Looks like a root vegetable, doesn't it? But it's That's part right, yeah. of the celery family. Is that right? Am I am I correct in that thinking? I'm not sure, but as we've already established on an earlier podcast, which you can listen to um, in our archives on whatever podcap pod, podcap podcast app you choose to listen <laughs> to, so you pod- can tell it's going well already. Double recording <laughs> the intro podcap now, um, <laughs> as I try and plug our historic stuff. Um, I've mentioned. Uh, before that my general disdain for celery that it ruins everything but celeriac is actually quite tasty especially in fry or chip form okay have you had it not uh fried because you could fry anything and it tastes quite good can't you really i think we can all agree with that have you had it just boiled or or um i don't know baked i've had celeriac mash before which was again passable But on the subject of mash, and I messaged you about this, oh, what a treat. Even though I didn't make it really from scratch, it was a shop-bought jobby. But haggis and tatties and neeps for my tea. Yeah, I got food envy when you told me about this. Yes, go on. And remarkably, my daughter, who wouldn't try anything with onion in, when I just called it, oh, this is um, Scottish sausage... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> went straight in yum 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 oh, nice. but uh it was it was so nice mashed swede mashed potato bit of gravy bit of haggis some veg with it very very tasty so even though it wasn't something i i cooked specifically it was very very nice for the weekend and later this week we've got another box from the spicery so we've got a new orleans themed meal to cook on we're going to do it on friday evening this week to celebrate the end of my first week of my new job and so i'm very much looking forward to that and i will report back on that next week very nice i actually as i said i got food envy when you mentioned you having haggis uh, this week and it's on my shopping list to get uh, when i go shopping tomorrow so i'm going to pick up some haggis and i'm going to have neeps and tatties as well and do the whole thing at some point over the next few days so i'm very much looking forward to that and also uh exciting that you're gonna have a new orleans dinner uh we've discussed our love of new orleans in the past so you can hopefully recreate some of those memories that uh you've experienced in the past and uh talk about good times and again celebrate your first week at work i think fantastic stuff yeah i enjoy a celebration meal and one of my favorite meals i've ever had was sushi when i was on a cruise ship but sushi the reason i mentioned sushi is there is some something entertaining happening in the world which takes us nicely into food in the news so in taiwan there was a sushi restaurant called sushiro and they ran a promotion 
that if anyone had the name Salmon or the symbol for Salmon in their name, which I think is a, a Gui Yu uh, in their name, they got free sushi. Now, this led to some problems in Taiwan. So an official in Taiwan had pleaded with people to stop changing their name to Salmon to take advantage of this promotion, as apparently dozens and dozens of people had filled out applications at the government offices to officially change their name and qualify for the free sushi. And as part of this two-day promotional um, offer, they um, they basically said anyone with the character Guiyu, meaning Salmon, would get free food. Um, and also customers whose names sounded similar to Salmon were also going to get a discount, which then led me to, uh, you know, dig a bit further into this and it turns out that in taiwan you can legally change your name three times ah uh, i was thinking so, that's quite extreme isn't it to change your name just for a bit of um i, I love sushi i don't know if i'd go to the extent of uh change my name though yeah and so they've changed their name to sushi or something similar to sushi and then they've changed it back so that's two of their three entitlements <laughs> Two of their three entitlements done. But it did then lead me to go through to find some of the fun names that people had changed their names to. Okay, go on. So, um, according to um, one of the public offices in Taiwan where they've been dealing with this uh, this issue, we've had someone change their name to Hotness Salmon. <laughs> Classic, yep, solid start. And we've got uh, someone obviously trying to cover all boats for any future promotions, change the name to Dip Wasabi and Eat Salmon. <laughs> <laughs> Which I thought was excellent. Um, but some people found it, a, found it a big surprise because they turned up. So uh, in this article that I was reading... Um, oh, and also, sorry, and other, uh, other people had changed names so to add extra words like scallop and lobster to these as well. But one <laughs> chap had turned up to change his name, did already discover that his mother had changed his name twice when he was a child. Oh, so he, no. <laughs> he wasn't willing to uh, change his name to Salmon. And so he didn't go me... through with it in the end then, this guy? No, no. Ah. He, he, di he didn't see, see the point in it. But it just made me think, <laughs> I know Costa sometimes do like free coffees or free hot chocolates. I know sometimes people do discounted bits um, throughout the day but i've never ever considered changing my name for free food no i haven't i wonder if those guys who changed their name walked away and, and after they finished their sushi were like yeah that was totally worth it kind of you know brushing their hands off like yeah excellent <laughs> I, I enjoyed the fact that the taiwanese government were complaining about the paperwork burden <laughs> of changing everyone's name to salmon um but hopefully all those people enjoyed their salmon and didn't get ill. However, moving on to the next section of the news, we touched on this on a previous podcast where people have been ordering food from unregistered um, food outlets. So obviously the pandemic's meant a lot of people have to diversify their income. We mentioned that you have to register with sort of the health agencies to make sure everything is fit and proper for your cooking. Well, as a follow-on to that, you know, we're about a month... Um, following on from that article a recent um study undertaken by a cookware company called oliver's kitchen has found that in a survey of five thousand people um across ages and locations across the uk um 79 of brits have brought home cooked meals from unregistered social media chefs over the past 12 percent and a tenth of them well actually nine percent of them have reported feeling unwell after eating this food so they've said they've either had stomachache um diarrhea and they've also said that around a third of people 34 percent were concerned with the appearance and smell of the food and packaging when it arrived which is incredible i mean i know we've mo we're monitoring this as we progress obviously with some of these stories we have in the news and we like to to follow them through but one-tenth of everyone who orders from these potentially unregistered chef is starting to feel ill. You know, it does go to show the importance of following these these health and safety guidelines. Uh, again, I haven't really done much from a takeaway standpoint this year, and I certainly haven't really done much. I had fish and chips from our chip shop uh, from a takeaway standpoint since we started recording this pod. Um, but again, I think it's... I like to try new things, but I certainly order from a restaurant establishment rather than 
someone who's just appeared on Just Eat round the corner from where I live. <laughs> yeah, I think, you know, you're always going to get one or two moany old, um, uh, almost had to put an explicit one on the podcast there, a moany old so-and-so. Um, <laughs> but... <laughs> Uh, I'm assuming C-bombs aren't acceptable on this. But anyway, so um, <laughs> I, I digress once again. Um, but this is, a, you know, a perfect example of why we need, you know, to keep regulation, uh, especially, well, in any service, really. But, yeah, especially food as well. Cool. Uh, what else you got? So my final thing, again, as a link, onto some of our earlier stats uh, that we've covered in the pod and in Food in the News. So we've mentioned how cattle produces a lot of greenhouse gas emissions. Well, the University of California has been uh, researching a way to help with this. And it turns out that, based on their research, that possibly by feeding a bit of seaweed to cattle feed, or adding a, a bit of seaweed to cattle feed, can reduce methane emissions from beef cattle as much as 82%. Whoa, that's huge. That makes such a big difference to the environment. So if these studies continue, this could potentially assist, like a new long-term, and obviously it's going to be a long-term study about the effects of it, but this could mean we could start producing sustainable burgers and we've spoken about the co2e footprint when we look at our our beef cattle um, in our earlier episodes but the fact that just having this bit of seaweed in adjusting the digestion of the uh, of the cattle um it's incredible so over the sort of a course of five months last summer they added sort of scant amounts of seaweed to the diet of 21 beef cattle and tracked their weight gain and methane emissions and cattle that consumed doses of around 80 grams or three ounces of seaweed gained as much weight as their herd mates while producing 82% less methane into the atmosphere. That's really good. Yeah, incredible news. And, you know, like we've talked about um, how, again, beef cattle are one of the biggest contributors towards um, COTE emissions. And there's also, uh, I think I've mentioned before about the work that they're going in, uh, they're working with um, selectively breeding cattle as well, so that those that um, do not emit as many emissions uh, are bred selectively and then kind of used uh, more regularly uh, in, in cattle. But this combined with also, you know, these discoveries of feeding seaweed, etc., this is exactly the sort of steps that we need to take towards going. Um, to be environmentally friendlier to the planet this is fantastic stuff exactly and obviously that i think the purpose of a long-term study is to see the overall impact on the on the cattle itself by adjusting their diet but you know it's a good sign you know five months in the grand scheme of things isn't a really long depth st- study and to see the long-term effects potentially in breeding of cattle but the fact they had no weight though no difference in weight they didn't seem to have any difference in mobility or health as opposed to the, the standard fed um, beef cattle. It's, you know, it's really interesting to see uh, where this goes. So, again, it's looking positive and it's producing good science, good research behind these, these efforts to try and make the planet a little bit more, you know, eco-aware. And the fact that you know, I think it's just from my personal standpoint, if it's a case that I was in a supermarket and I was told, oh, if you pay 50p a pound more for this this beef product to make your burgers with and it's got 82% less CO2 in it, I'd be happy to pay that extra amount knowing full well, hopefully, as long as the uh, the figures are accurate and correct, that that source of meat is better for our planet. Uh, yeah, I I tend to agree, but there's going to be those in circumstances that aren't so fortunate to be able to take that option, um, which is then why we need to, you know, develop these ideas and then make that more sustainable from a cost point of view as well. So, you know, but either way, the fact that there's people out there doing this sort of work and care enough to do this sort of work and um, in, invest in it as well, you know, it's definitely a step in the right direction. 
And as with any technology or idea, the more that it's produced and done, the cheaper it becomes and then becomes affordable to to a greater you know, uh, population. So, yeah, excellent news. And I think with the things, like you said, about technology and evolving leads us quite nicely into our next part of the pod because in fr- on Friday last week here in the UK, we celebrated Comic Relief, what's also known as Red Nose Day. And we chatted about this very briefly before we started recording, that it was young people who'd started lobbying Lenny Henry and the organisers of Comic Relief about the single-use plastic that used to be used to produce the classic red noses. So I remember back in the 80s at school that you'd have your red nose, your sound would be like this, <laughs> and you'd end up with a massive sore, a pressure mark, either side of your nose um, every day from these single-use plastic red noses. That's right, because they were quite uh, quite harsh, weren't they, the, the original ones? They were like solid plastic, weren't they? I think over time they've developed them to be a bit softer and kinder to your face. And and now you say about, you know, we've got this latest development as well where they're plastic free. Uh, but I distinctly remember them being quite, quite harsh on the old face back in the day. Yeah, quite harsh on the face, very uncomfortable to wear. And if you imagine the number of I, I couldn't find a stat for the number of red noses sold uh, for the first comic relief, which was in 1988. Um because it's every two years Red Nose Day switches with Sport Relief under the Comic Relief um, banner. But I couldn't find a stat for how many of these Red Noses have been purchased over time. But earlier this year, Lenny Henry was on BBC News, BBC Breakfast, and he was talking about now the biodegradable nature of the Red Noses and even said, ah, and now they're edible and just took a bite out of his <laughs> Red Nose on TV. And it's a case Did of... Well, at least at least it's edible. <laughs> so I wouldn't advise it, listener. I wouldn't advise eating this year's uh, red nose. But, you know, desperate times, you can. <laughs> well, that's uh, very reassuring and, and, and good to know. Um, the other thing that they're doing is uh, in conjunction with TK Maxx and Disney as well, they are producing uh, fair trade cotton uh, shirts and aprons as well. So uh, Amy and I, we did purchase a couple of things. Um, I got a nice apron to go with my cooking, which has um, Mike and Sully from Monsters Inc. on. Um, and Amy bought a Burst Lightyear t-shirt, which uh, was Burst Lightyear bouncing off a Red Bull. So, you know, in conjunction <laughs> with the, the red nose thing as well. So, and they're really good quality. Um, if they're still for sale, which I'm sure they will be on TK Maxx, go check them out. Um, again, it's fair trade cotton. So, you know, the money is, distributed evenly to the farmers out in Africa and the the profits uh, do go to charity as well so uh, fantastic work um i think the big thing that stood out for me though and i don't know if you saw any of the uh, the appeals that they put on throughout the the evening the big one for me and it's definitely because we are doing a, a food podcast and it's uh, you know always in the back of my mind um was the food poverty that the UK is going through currently especially with you know we've talked about before and we mentioned it probably on a weekly basis now but how much food waste there is in the UK and there's loads of families and children going hungry every day in Britain um, and it shouldn't shouldn't be like this uh, like Lenny was saying about how you know they'd go out and visit places in Africa in the 80s and 90s and you know he'd be with his colleague and he'd mention that well, you know, at least we'll never see this in the UK. And here we are. This is what we're experiencing. It's very much a reality. And it's it's not quite right, is it? No, it's, it's, it's awful to see. And it's good that people are trying to raise that awareness t- towards it. But as you said, it's just incredible how how much... It, it impacts as you start, as you said, as you start watching it and you start going through and seeing these stories and seeing what people are experiencing in the UK, um, this food poverty side of things. It's it's ridiculous. And I think we sent out and um, we retweeted a tweet on our Twitter at that food pod uh, from the guys at Earth and Wheat who do the bread boxes that a UK household food waste would fill a approximately 66,000 three-bedroom terraced house, which is equal to the population um, of a town the size of Peterborough. And so that's how much food could be distributed, if not wasted, 
to people who are are, are dealing with food poverty. It, it's crazy that we are in that state in such a an affluent country as the UK is. It is, um, and hopefully it's something we can recover from. Um, there's you know big personalities from the sporting world that's getting involved with making this um, uh, more accessible to people and kind of getting the message out there. And, you know, all these little things are helping, but it's a situation we shouldn't be in. But, you know, it's um, something that hopefully can improve over time. And with charities behind um, food banks such as Fair Share is one of them that they mentioned. Um, so check out F- uh, Fair Share on the Internet and their website and see the sort of work that they do and how they manage to distribute uh, food to families that need it. Um, you know, it's a serious message, but also they get this serious message across with fun and levity. So this week we actually chose to make a fun dish, um, which was the Red Nose Day shortbread. Um, how did you get on this week with the, the recipe that I that I chose last week? I've never made shortbread before, and I was obviously going into this wary and apprehensive after the absolute disaster of the uh, of the pineapple upside down cake. Um, because I thought, oh no, more baking. This is (laughs) really out of my wheelhouse. If you want to hear about the disaster, go back and listen to episode five, uh, the pineapple upside down cake um, in our archives. Um, But obviously I had my trusty kitchen assistant with me on the Saturday to make these biscuits. So obviously we were going to make them on the Friday in preparation for comic relief, but apparently my daughter was busy so <laughs> during a global pandemic my child was too busy to bake with me you so, you, uh, you messaged me this on friday and i was i asked what is she busy doing exactly and <laughs> what was your reply again just let the the, the guys know oh I, I, I can't remember what she said she was doing now but she was busy with crafts she had crafts. things to paint i think uh, i think had... it was crafts and activities so she's far crafts too busy doing <laughs> absolutely <Which> ridiculous <laughs> But um, but so we were we were there. We were ready to go. Uh, my biggest issue during this cook, uh, this bake even, was to make sure my daughter didn't eat the edible eyes that were on the work surface. I kept turning oh, yeah. around and I kept saying, "What's that in your hand?" And being told, <laughs> "Nothing, Daddy." Seeing these, uh, you know, sugar eyes get popped on a regular basis. Um, but no, it was a very easy to follow recipe. As I said, I'd never made shortbread before because I was under the impression it was notoriously hard to get right all the ingredients very easy to source i ordered my edible eyes as part of my shopping i think you did as well for this standpoint the only thing i struggled with personally um, and you might have noticed this in some of the pictures we posted out on our social media platforms um, at that food pod um, was that cooking with a soon-to-be four-year-old it doesn't allow you to give that element of finesse to your <laughs> cooking. It's quite a, quite a, a uh, let's say a aggressive uh, cookie cutting mentality, <laughs> um, and a bit impatient. So for mine, I would have preferred to roll my shortbread a bit thinner, following the recipe. But my daughter said, "No, we are finished. We are doing the cookie cutting." And I don't want to dispel her enjoyment of cooking by going, no, we must wait further for me to get this exactly right to the millimetre of what I want to get. When you're as busy as Harriet and you've got lots of crafts and activities to get on with, then that's fair enough, I think. (laughs) (laughs) But I said so, but it was, you know, it was time consuming, but not anything onerous uh, to get things together obviously creaming butter and sugar together if you're going to do it by hand is going to take you an absolute ice age for some reason for the purpose of the pod i thought i'm going to see how long it's going to take me to do this just to make sure if anyone doesn't have the tools they can still cook this recipe from the pod and you can do it it just takes a long time it takes a long time to get it done um but yeah overall it was really fun to make i I love baking with my daughter it's and the assembly element i think was the most fun using the buttercream to stick the eyes onto each biscuit. It was great. And as you saw, and we, we spoke about, my daughter very excited to make a three-eyed face, a cyclops. And for when Leanne came home, she said, well, mummy will want four eyes. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> all right. So we had a four-eyed biscuit as well. I could tell they were good because uh, my wife continually stole 
these biscuits, oh, including good. on Sunday after me and Harriet were doing some bits in the greenhouse. I said, well, let's go and get those last two biscuits to return to find none. Oh, no. The, <laughs> Outrage. Uh, notorious biscuit stealer, hey? It was on the case. Um, good. That's always a good sign, though, that other people want them. Um, I think, from my point of view, making them, I'd describe, for those that haven't seen the pictures as well, I'd describe a little bit what they look like. So, um, if you remember Jammy Dodgers, this might be a UK-based biscuit, so anyone uh, overseas listening, then apologies for that if you don't quite get the reference there. But Jammy Dodgers is a, um, in my opinion at least anyway, a tier, sort of top-tier biscuit in the UK. And it's a biscuit base uh, which is in a, a circular shape uh, with a layer of um, buttercream uh, and then jam. And then there's a biscuit base, uh, sorry, a biscuit top uh, that sits on top, which has a hole in the middle. So the jam actually kind of peers through uh, in, in the middle there. So which is why these were the Red Nose Day shortbread. So it kind of looks like you've got a, a red nose in the middle there. So going back to the red nose theme and also just you know, Stu was saying about sort of finessing the design a little bit. So um, it's suggested in there that you get some black um, like... What's the word I'm looking for here, Stu? Like black icing type thing, isn't it? Um, yeah, some black icing to do some faces with. That's right. So you can use them and draw little faces on, which um, I actually had a helper this week as well. Um, um, she's a bit older than Harriet, my wife. Who's the <laughs> Just as impatient when it comes to baking. <laughs> you're, not, you're not actually far from the truth, actually. <laughs> I, was, I was there with my uh, tape measure, make sure like it's, what was it, three millimetres? thick or something like that i think it's like something like six mil six mil Some, deep something like that yeah so i was there with my tape measure <laughs> like, I'm, I'm not even joking there make sure that it's six mil deep and amy's like just just come get on with it which is a fair point i think um so yeah so uh sort of moving on to the the ingredients no problem get a hold of anything i wasn't sure about the uh the, the eyes that you use like candy eyes that you stick on uh to help make the the faces um but managed to find them easy peasy in uh tesco actually uh no problem there um yet yeah, making of the shortbread um haven't made shortbread before again kind of one of those things that you think you know just appears out of nowhere or maybe there's like a, a shortbread tree somewhere that they just grow and then they <laughs> end up in your shopping basket um or a relative gives you at christmas time um and then it stays in the cupboard for months on end anyway so <laughs> and then, <laughs> how does shortbread stay in the cupboard it's delicious <laughs> when you get so much shortbread every year it, it does tend to um yeah go to one side but um Although, a little tip there, going back to food waste, makes really, really good um, um, cheesecake base shortbread. Um, so, you know, if you do have any shortbread laying around after Christmas or if you get given someone's a gift and you and you are fed up with it, brilliant shortbread, uh, cheesecake base, um, top tip there. I was going to say as well as another food hack, you can also crumble it over ice cream with a bit of whiskey. Oh, oh, whiskey. Now you're talking. There we go. So I, I discovered this recipe when I was at the Edinburgh Festival and it was one of the puddings that was available. And as even though I'm not someone who drinks alcohol, I was like, well, I like shortbread. I like ice cream. Let's give it a go. And it was delicious. It was really good. Great. I like all these things. I can't see how you go wrong. Um, okay, cool. Whiskey's going onto the list <laughs> for, for my shopping <laughs> tomorrow. <laughs> and ice cream. Um, and possibly some shortbread. I don't think I've actually got any at the moment. Um, okay, so cooking, construction... All good. How is it to eat? Delicious. I was really impressed. The problem I had for mine, obviously, is as I had uneven depths of shortbread rounds, um, some took longer to cook than others. So, as you'll notice, um, Matt's, when you look on social media, were quite flat. Mine were a bit chunky due to my daughter's impatience. But it just meant you kept an eye on them in the oven. You're supposed to bake them 15 minutes after cooling them in the fridge. That was the only issue I did have as well because I'd just done the weekly shop. So my fridge was quite full. So trying to find somewhere to balance the trays in the fridge for, to cool them for five minutes before popping them in the oven was a bit of a uh, bit of a fluster. But it was just a case of monitoring them, wait till they started to brown around the edges. Uh, some I had to take out before, to, again, to make sure I had an even um, bake across all of my shortbread rounds but all in all 
you know, time consuming, but nothing that you get, nothing that you have to work to pressure to. So if you wanted to make the dough, you leave it in the fridge for 15 minutes as you do with shortbread dough. Great. You could leave it for longer. No problem. You could cut the rounds out and leave them in the fridge for the rest of the day. Not a problem that you could do it either all in one go or segments throughout the day. So there's no reason just because it's a bit time consuming that you can't do this. But I, the flavor overall, once it cooked, once it's baked, delicious. And obviously by my wife who keeps insisting that she's going to try and cut out sugary things for Lent, which she has failed miserably at <laughs> as I bury her on this podcast. Um, obviously, the fact that they were good enough to keep going back and shunning the the plan to avoid sweet and sugary things. Uh, they were very, very tasty. Decent raspberry jam in the middle as well. Really, really happy. Tasty buttercream. I mean, as you said, what can't you like? It's a top tier biscuit anyway, if you buy it from the shop. But the joy of making it yourself, outstanding. Yep, I um, I had a great time making these. This is a perfect recipe to make on a a weekend, a, you know, journey afternoon. Um, if you've got you know a bit of spare time and you just fancy getting in the k- a kitchen and doing something a bit different and some a uh, bit of fun as well, definitely try this recipe. When I pulled mine out of the oven, um, they were. They were cooked, but they're still slightly sort of soft. And I wasn't sure if that's quite right. And I, I felt like if I left them in any longer, they're going to burn. Now, what happens then, just to maybe alleviate some concerns if anyone does try to make these, that they actually do start harden over harden over time. So if they're just left to cool, that sort of cooling process, um, I assume they sort of carry on cooking a little bit for that time as well. And they do they do harden and they do um, like become really nice and crunchy as well. And actually, that's one of the first things that I noticed when I bit into the first one is a real nice sort of snap and a crunch to it, which um, <laughs> reminds me of uh, Bake Off, British Bake Off, when <laughs> they can, oh, that's a lovely <laughs> yeah. snap and all that sort of stuff. So, um, yeah, really happy with how they turned out. Would you, and just to kind of wrap up now, would you make them again? Um, and if so, any changes? I'm not sure if I'd make them again purely based on the the time to make them i mean i'm very much a cake rather than a biscuit person anyway if i was going to have a choice of one or the other what are you going to do today baking are you going to do cake are you going to do biscuit i'd go cake just so i can have it fall out of a tin on my cooker uh, for my own enjoyment um so I wouldn't change the recipe. I would cook them again in the future, but I think I'd try other biscuit cookie recipes before reverting back to that. They were very, very tasty. But the one thing that I thought of, obviously it makes quite a lot, which is good, but I also wonder sometimes, well, if you've made 24 biscuits and you've made fresh buttercream, how long is that? How long is the shelf life of that buttercream? Because with a family of three of us, and obviously you can do reduced batch sizes, um, with a family of three, are you running the risk of the buttercream going bad over a prolonged period of time to have it? So you're either going to do a reduced batch and eat them all, or you're going to have a full size batch and eat them all. <laughs> yeah, we actually did do um, half. Uh, size half portion so we made 12 in the end um just because it was two of us and we soon saw to them over the course of a couple of days <laughs> so <laughs> they didn't they didn't last long um but no I, I i'm in the same camp as you i wouldn't rush into making these again they're excellent fun especially being on you know the weekend of uh red nose day and comic relief really good fun something to uh you know just enjoy and um it's a great process to go through making shortbread once again. Something, again, I had no concept of how to make. I didn't really know the process at all. So um, just through doing this podcast and finding all these recipes, trying all these recipes even, um, you know, it's, a, it's a learning curve, and it's really interesting for me. Um, but no, the one I'd last pro- thing... Uh, go on. I'm sorry, I was going to say, the one last thing I would say, for a, a family or a couple or a, a household cook together... This is the ultimate dish that we've covered so far on the podcast that would involve like collaborative baking, whether you're cooking with housemates, partners, children, grandparents. This is something everyone can get involved with because as it's quite a long process, I think if I'd made this by myself, I might have got a bit bored. 
But having Harriet there to help me, I think obviously you, you'd agree with having Amy there as your um, assistant for this one. This is ideal. Anyone from any age can get involved in this because obviously young children can use the cook the the biscuit cutters do it they can stick the eyes on it's fun it's probably the most group orientated dish we've covered so i'd say while i wouldn't rush to make them i'd recommend that as you said if it's cold dull lockdown day before you can still go out and do anything you want something to do with the family want something to do with housemates get these ingredients and get baking because it's a lot of fun to do it in a group yeah perfect summary this is the only recipe for the pod that i've actually made in conjunction with amy uh so great one to get involved with other people and um go give it a go so never excellent recipe and we're going to get to your choice this week as well which i'm very much looking forward to but we're just going to carry over a bit of a discussion from last week where we started talking about um supplements and specifically proteins as well so um how are you getting on with your um Body guy projects, Stu. How's that going? Well, I've just eaten 24 jammy dodgers, so it's going really well. <laughs> <laughs> um, not too bad, actually. So I, I, had my, um, I had my COVID vaccine on Friday, and it sort of knocked me out of commission for the whole weekend. Not in anything bad. I didn't grow a second head or anything. It's just <laughs> I, I just felt a little bit run down after it. So my eating habits over the weekend, I didn't do much working out. I was essentially comfort eating, probably being a bit of a worse feeling, a bit sorry for myself. But this week, um, I focused on very much uh, calorie control, body guy stuff. Um, And for lunch yesterday and possibly lunch tomorrow, um, I've been having a meal replacement shake from the Protein Works. And I messaged you about this. And over time, and we mentioned last week as well on the pod that some of these protein shakes are absolutely rancid but this one i've discovered which is a millionaire shortbread flavor which i don't have any milk in it i just go for the water and the protein powder for it genuinely delicious i am i was shocked i i smelled the powder and thought that's not millionaire shortbread this is going to be awful made it did the first sip thinking "Mm, okay that's quite good probably probably flattering to deceive carried on drinking and i thought crikey it was actually really really good um so i've i've been having that i've been having my um fat binder supplement which again from a long-term standpoint i don't know how effective this is going to be what i have noticed through the fat burner supplement is i feel that i'm i've got a bit more energy but i also retain more water so for my body weight i assume is a bit higher for some reason i don't know if it's just a coincidence because i've started taking it uh in line as well with this uh this protein shake so it's just doing a bit of juggling at the moment um from that standpoint also i've got some new heavyweights uh, and as you'll you'll know from uh, from our past lifting i was getting relatively decent at lifting and i've got my new heavyweights and struggled immensely uh, earlier today so <laughs> not a great start but again it's it's a marathon not a sprint so i'm just going to keep plugging away and over the over the months hopefully we'll start seeing some really good results yeah and just to put stew over here we used to lift together quite a lot and he did make some excellent progression so i have no doubt that you'll be able to kind of get back to pace soon enough um do you mind if i ask a little bit about your vaccine did you which one did you get because i've had mine as well and you said that you felt a little bit groggy um which one yeah. did you know which one you had I had the Oxford AstraZeneca one, um, so I went to one of these big vaccination centres, which was remarkably, I, I've been so organised, impressed with the organisation of everything, um, in, including locally where I, you can get like no symptom tests, and my old employer wanted people to have one of those before they went into the office if they needed to go and pick up files. The whole organisation of all these vaccination centres, all these testing centres, is incredible. My my actual experience of it was was great. Um, the after effects, I think, sort of, they say one in ten people get some of these side effects symptoms, so you feel a bit, a bit run down, a bit achy in your muscles. For me, I had a bit of a headache, and I felt like my thighs were in concrete for a day and a half. But other than that, I I felt absolutely fine. My wife had her second Oxford AstraZeneca dose on the previous weekend, so last Saturday. No side effects whatsoever. She didn't have any side effects for the first one. And there are some groups 
because um, I've got a friend who works with some people in government and there's a working theory at the moment that you have a stronger reaction to the vaccine if at some point you may have had COVID. So whilst uh, I've never had any test to say that I've had a positive COVID test, um, maybe that's the reason why. Maybe it was just bad luck. Maybe it's just how my body reacted. But literally the next day after feeling groggy, I woke up and it's like nothing had happened. I felt absolutely fine. Bit of a sore arm maybe from the jab area. It's interesting how it affects different people differently isn't it um i think there's a slight variation between the two different types of vaccine as well so i have the pfizer one which i think doesn't seem to affect as many people um quite severely in terms of the after effects and i believe that's from how it works so the pfizer attaches um to your dna which kind of gives you the the cell required to fight the um uh, the infection Whereas the AstraZeneca actually gives you like a dose of the uh, virus, which then builds immunity thereafter. So actually, that's um, one of the reasons why the AstraZeneca tends to um, have these side effects more than the Pfizer. But just to mirror what you said, I, I, I went along. Um, there's something on my medical record that require or would deem me um, uh, one of the uh, what's the word I'm looking for. Clinically vulnerable, I believe, is Clinic- the terminology. That's the one. <laughs> Thank you for stepping in there. I seem to be tr- uh, struggling with words today. Um, so uh, I'm, I'm deemed as clinically vulnerable, but you know, I am, I am a healthy chap, really. But you know, it, it is uh, recommended that if you get offered, then take it. So you know, if you are offered the vaccine, then go for it. Um, but again, just to mirror what you said, my experience of it was fantastic. It was really well organised. The uh, the nurses and the volunteers and the helpers there were wonderful, really th- uh, friendly and made you feel at ease uh, in a potentially nerving situation. You know, not getting a vaccine is never particularly fun uh, at the best of times, but certainly in times where maybe you haven't been around um, groups of people. Um, it's all socially distanced, of course, but you maybe haven't been around uh, lots of people at, uh, at any one time for a long time. And it, it, they put you at your ease and... Um, yeah, all the spacing was appropriate, and yeah, I, I dare say it's almost a, a nice afternoon now, actually. <laughs> but maybe that's just sign of the times that we take anything we can get at the moment. <laughs> yeah, and all, however, one thing it was missing because you know, like sometimes when you give blood, they give you a biscuit. I know they probably can't hand out biscuit tins or sweets in a sort of socially distant fashion, but it'd be nice to have a nice cup of tea and a biscuit afterwards while you sit and wait. <laughs> well, <laughs> you say that I actually got a badge saying I got my vaccine, so. No, no, oh, no, no, very no. Nice. <laughs> I got a sticker that I gave to Harriet when I ga- came home because she was quite keen to have a sticker to oh, have a nice. crown on it. I was like, oh, fair enough. And after I had my vaccine, um, I went to M&S and got a few bits of shopping. So it was lovely. <laughs> Excellent. What a lovely day out. Um, yeah. Anyway, shall we talk about what we were going to talk about? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's let's enjoy these tangents. But yeah, let's head back where we were. So yeah, so that's my experience uh, of protein, uh, body guy stuff um fat binding agents but cool yeah so body guy underway awesome good well done uh keep it up so this week we're going to talk a little bit more about supplements and um specifically kind of the proteins that we're looking at um and even more specifically uh, uh, amino acids so I, I suppose firstly what i want to say is that um this these sort of segments here i don't want to exclude anyone that doesn't exercise because it doesn't just exclusively apply to you know people who are mad keen on exercise or uh, bodybuilding or what have you now if you aren't a keen exercise firstly i'd uh, sort of ask you to reconsider this decision perhaps because you know it does have so many benefits not just physically but mentally it can you know help increase productivity and you know help form better relationships etc and um, again, you don't have to be a bodybuilder to um, appreciate how nutrition can help along with all these different things. Um, you know, but all this stuff can really help with your general well-being. And you, again, you don't need to be a gym bunny or a running fanatic to care about all this stuff. So, you know, hopefully it is helpful, even if you know you know you're not massively keen into bodybuilding, etc. It still applies to day-to-day life. So, 
Uh, just going back to amino acids, these are what is required by the body to make proteins, okay? So, um, the and other important compounds as well, such as creatine. So, creatine um, helps to give your muscles or helps your muscles to create energy. Um, and amino acids help to make proteins, which again help to kind of build and repair the muscles in our body, plus other structures in the body as well. And there are 20 amino acids in total and your body can make some of them without any help at all so they just naturally occur in the body um, through processes which again naturally occur but nine of these amino acids have to be obtained through our diets um, these are referred to as essential amino acids um, so these come from high quality protein sources which include animal proteins for example which do contain all the essential amino acids which we can't create uh, naturally in our body. Um, these are high in a amino acid called lucerne, which is particularly uh, important to build in, uh, muscle. So that, that such things as you know meat, uh, chicken, turkey, beef, eggs, dairy sources, anything that comes from a, uh, an animal, essentially. Um, I'm just going back to lucerne that I mentioned previously it's particularly important because it's uh, an amino acid which helps to maximally stimulate muscle protein synthesis um, which basically means to make new muscles so when we exercise we uh, just through the process of exercising we rip and tear muscles um, and it sounds horrible but you know it's, it's what happens it's completely natural and these uh, amino acids and specifically or um, especially looser and they do really help to um, help to kind of repair and uh, and encourage growth for the muscle now I know some people out there are saying oh, I don't want to get too muscly or big or what have you but don't worry about that kind of put that out of your mind for now just these proteins and having an appropriate amount will just help you feel better as well help you recover easier and quicker so if you go out for a jog or if you do have um, you know, a hit session, or if you do enjoy lifting weights like Stu and I, um, it just means that actually, more than worrying about getting too big or whatever, it just helps with recovery afterwards. So you just feel a lot better a lot sooner. There's a thing called DOMS. Um, I'm sure you've experienced DOMS in the past, Stu. Oh, yes. So DOMS is a uh, delayed onset of muscle soreness. Um, so yeah, the process of exercising then, you know, day or two later, you normally feel a bit sore in, in the area that you've been working. So if you've been having a bicep workout, yeah, your bicep's going to be sore a couple of days following. Um, just having these protein, an appropriate amount of proteins, which again, if, you, uh, if you're not sure of how much to take um, in, or having your diet, check out last uh, episode seven of our podcast, just where I'll go into a little bit more detail there. Um, and kind of look at how much protein you might need to kind of encourage that. So the other thing I don't want to kind of, or the other person I don't want to alienate are people that don't eat meat products or animal products, so vegetarians and vegans. So what do you do? How do you obtain protein um, through other means? So protein does exist in plant sources too, uh, such as nuts, beans, pulses, uh, cereals such as wheat, oats and barley. But the problem here is that they're not necessarily complete proteins, meaning they don't have all the nine, uh, all the nine essential amino acids required. Um, but saying that, some plant products do. So uh, do you like soybeans or uh, uh, quinoa, Stu? Uh, quinoa is on my made me ill with the chickpeas list, but soya beans um, and sort of soya based things like that is absolutely fine. Again, it, it fits in. You can mix them in with different parts of your diet. So, yeah, they're not they're not off the menu for me. So I don't cope so well with um, soy. Uh, it's kind of off my menu for sure. Makes me a little bit ill. But uh, quinoa is great again these both have uh, complete proteins whereas some ve uh, other vegetarian options don't so just like anything really whatever your diet is whatever your requirements are whatever your preferences are um, it's all about trying to get a balanced diet so it's looking at how to get that balanced diet and trying to get all those essential amino acids into your diet 
um, effectively. And as again, I touched on last week, it's all about trying to get that balance really. Um, and moving on to supplements. Now, I'm not gonna recommend any specifically, but what I will say is look for those that are of good quality. And as you touched on earlier about regulations and standards as well, make sure they are signed off um, and they do have correct regulation. Um, and But before buying protein and supplements, just think about getting the correct diet that you require first off. So this touches on, I know that you've also asked about pre-workout. Um, so pre-workout, for those that don't know, is something that is taken by um, athletes and um, people who go to the gym that uh, helps increase endurance, uh, energy, and focus their, or allow them to focus more during workout. So, Stu, you've had experience with pre-workout in the past or, or not? Yes, yes. Um, mixed results. I find that if I am very tired, if I have some pre-workout, I can get through my exercise regime because... I always want to try and exercise daily, how I am at the moment. And if I've had a bad night, my daughter's woken up in the night, it's been a long day, haven't slept well, then I will maybe take some pre-workout to get things going and to make sure I can get through that that exercise run. But I do find is a bit you get into a bit of a vicious circle because depending on when you exercise, um, I exercise in the evenings uh, sometimes. So obviously uh, just before... I put my daughter to bed is normally when I have my exercise time. And then because I've got that level of caffeine in me, it's great. But I, then I find that night I don't sleep brilliantly if I've taken pre-workout. So then I'm, I've created that vicious cycle for myself of, well, if I want to do really well and hit my exercise hard, I need to maybe try and replace that with a natural caffeine supplement to be able to then get out of that loop of having that additional caffeine in my body to which will then hinder my sleep yeah and i think that really backs up what i'm going to move into next but just to touch on an experience that i've had with pre-workout i i have used it previously um, but only once actually and that was enough for me so i i took it and i actually felt not very well afterwards it made my um skin sort of tingle which apparently is quite a common side effect from it but it just made me feel really uncomfortable and I think really that's just my body's way of saying you know you don't really need this um so I suppose the, the sort of ethos and message I want to sort of uh kind of push here is really just try to work on you know first off before taking anything that might pick you up um maybe just work on sort of a you know improving your nutrition um drinking more water for example getting better sleep and with the sleep thing going back to your point there um you know i can hear the parents out there saying yeah right and you know that's fair enough and i i haven't got kids so i can't really comment on that and i'm sure it's very you know hard to get uh, a decent night's sleep regularly when you are parenting but you know having said that moving on um if you really do need to find a you know, a stimulant, then again, touching on your point there, a natural alternative to pre-workout is is coffee. So you know, you've got caffeine in coffee. Uh, it's natural. It is a stimulant. It will help you focus and it doesn't contain as much rubbish as um, pre-workouts too. So always look at sort of other alternatives first before you start going down the supplement line. Um, supplement companies are very clever at selling you things and they make you think that you need things when you don't necessarily need them so again just try to figure out ways to better improve your nutrition um getting better sleep getting longer sleep better quality sleep um, and one of the best supplements in the world is dihydrogen monoxide or good old h2o water so drink plenty of water and it really can help make you feel better um, if you're lacking in energy you might, you might turn to grab a a red nosed a shortbread biscuit to be able to pep you up um give you a bit of a sugar rush 
but I lots of water I, as well can help too. I was going to say, back on the, the, the topic of things like DOMS as well, which is sometimes referred to as people calling it second day syndrome, where you've done your hard work and then the second day it kicks in. Um, and like Matt says, this isn't about saying, go and do exercise, go and do this, go and do that. It's about looking at your lifestyle. And especially when it comes to doing some some gentle, lightweight exercises, you're not going to get massive by using low weights. But what it's going to do is it's going to strengthen your muscle. So that's what's going to start reducing down that second day syndrome elements um, of it as well. And I thought I'd quick, because we touched on um, in episode seven about our, my, my use of my fitness pal. So I'm going to go through very quickly sort of the grams of protein that I had without taking that protein shake that day. So my breakfast was just some porridge. Um, my lunch was a chicken salad and a small bag of sesame seed pretzels. Very nice. And then in the evening, quite lazy, we had one of those sort of st- uh, stand and stuff taco kits from El Paso with some crispy chicken. So I had a couple of those with some salad. Um, and I had some fruit, and in the evening I just had some broccoli and some carrots just to dip into a bit of mustard for a treat. And that alone, with no supplements, no nothing for the day, that got me 102 grams of protein in that day, which was incredible. Um, and also I was still... De- so my goal, according to my fitness pal, was 201 grams of carbs for the day, and I was 55 grams below that target. So obviously I could have done a bit more to try and hit those goals, Sugars, fats, saturated fats, all well below what I had as my targets for those days. Same thing as um, cholesterol as well and sodium levels. So like Matt was saying, if you are looking to plug these gaps, whilst obviously as I said, I've got this fat binder thing that I'm trying just out of interest for the pod and also for my own you know, interest in seeing what it does and if it does um, impact on sort of my long-term body guy plans but there are so many things that you can replace add to your diet it's really simple things that can get these extra nutrients extra vitamins into your body that will help you um for your body to recover just from the natural rigors of day-to-day life whether you're exercising or not um again there's a lot of there's a lot of information online and i was about to say just go and google it but the problem is when you google it you can go down a rabbit hole of people who are not professionals and then you'll get misinformation you can indeed uh but just to you know recap really as Stu said you can meet your requirements just naturally and i do not by any means vilify supplements at all and i take a protein supplement regularly and they do come in handy, they really do, if you just haven't got time to, to cook a meal or if you're rushed, um, if you're going from meeting to meeting, what have you. Really, really nice to be able to pick up a, um, a well-regulated, complete protein supplement to be able to help that and boost you through to get your uh, required amount of protein in that day. But again, just to kind of uh, re-emphasize what I was saying before, just try get it naturally first. Try get into your body through diet. Everything that we require, unless it is a, a serious, uh, you know, deficiency that's been identified by a GP, um, everything that we we really require can be obtained through a well balanced diet. And I think that's the real sort of message that I want to push and make sure that we're aware of before we start going down these these avenues. And if you're looking for a meal with uh, decent protein in, that's going to lead us nicely on to this week's recipe of the week. So with my new job, as I said, it is a global company that I work for and we deal with lots of territories, whether it be the UK, Australia, New Zealand, Canada, the US, Singapore, etc. But one of the the territories we look after is South Africa. And my brother-in-law... He's done quite a lot of work out there. My brother's gone on holiday um, out there uh, as well. So I thought it might be time for me to start looking to see if I can find some dishes from South Africa for us to give a try. Uh, It's not something I've looked into at great lengths, uh, sort of the uh, South African food cultures uh, in detail. So I thought it'd be something interesting to, to look into. And 
I found a dish which apparently is the national dish of South Africa, pronounced baborti. Have you ever heard of baborti before? Uh, not pronounced like that. I haven't. Uh, do you have it called babuti? Possibly. No, I. Um, I I've watched so recently. This is funny, actually. Recently, we uh, watched a program with a household favourite, Greg Wallace, um, who went to visit. Uh, South Africa and he did a tour and he's quite a foodie guy as well as he so he kind of did a tour of not just the landscape and taking in the environment and the, the, the natural wonders of South Africa but also taking in the food um, and I'm sure that he did try this but I cannot remember because he tried so many different things I cannot remember what it entails so I'm looking forward to find out a bit more about that but actually we are planning to do a so we do a, a world food club quite regularly we're going to be doing a World Food Club for Amy's birthday next month. So this would be a nice prelude for that. And it's going to be in South Africa, I should mention. (laughs) (laughs) Excellent. Well, so this, uh, it's essentially, it's not too dissimilar from a moussaka. Um, Ingredients, I don't think are going to be too hard to source, but the serving suggestions, uh, which I'm going to do with mine, it also suggests serving with yellow rice. And again, it's got a, we'll post a, link to the recipe on our social media platforms um, at that food pod on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Um, but I'll also post the link to the yellow rice to serve with it. So the yellow rice is going to, it's basically basmati rice, butter, cardamom pods, cinnamon, turmeric, raisins, sugar. So again, it's not ex- ideal for being a body guy, but it sounds delicious. So it's going to be uh, baborti and yellow rice from South Africa is going to be this week's recipe of the week. Really looking forward to that, Stu. Thanks for choosing a great dish. Um, that is going to go down very well. And again, a little prelude to our uh, South African World Food Club, which we'll be doing next month. So uh, fantastic choice. So if you want to engage with us and interact with us, you can find us, as I just said, on all of our social media platforms, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, at That Food Pod. If you like what we've done, liked our previous episodes, uh, like, subscribe on your podcast app of preference. And if you like what we do, leave us a five-star review. Some people have, and it's been really great. Helped our algorithm, helps our reach as well. We're really happy with the numbers, as we say each week. It keeps on getting better and better. Uh, and if it's the, this is the first episode you've listened to, thanks very much. Uh, check out our archive. and. Let us see any of the recipes that you've cooked. Yeah, thank again to Samira Stu. Thank you very much. Uh, really, really happy with all the interaction. We are a independent podcast. We have no backing from any big producer or media outlet. So we are very much on our own here. The best way that you can help out is spread the word, word of mouth. And also those five-star reviews really do help. So if you get the time, jump on to um, Apple Podcasts, etc., and uh, drop us a five-star review. And thank you very much for listening this week, and we'll catch you next week. Goodbye. Goodbye.